Hey, Collective Church, Pastor Ryan here, back with another one of our Collective Conversations. Uh, we've had a couple of these over uh, our time, uh, making our way through the pandemic, uh, in lieu of maybe classes that we might normally do. Uh, specifically, as we've been making our way through our summer teaching series, The Story of Justice, looking at a biblical theology of justice, tracing that theme all the way through the scriptures. Uh, today, we're going to be having another one of those conversations uh, with my new friend, uh, Dr. Douglas Herring. Uh, Dr. Herring is a professor of theology at King's University in Edmonton, Alberta. He's the author of uh, books like Paul Among the Post-Liberals. He wrote a commentary on First and Second Peter in the Brazos Theological Commentary Series. And he has the forthcoming Resurrecting Justice, Reading Romans for the Life of the World. That's coming out on September 29th. Dr. Herring, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for inviting me. And <laughs> yeah, we're excited. So I, I uh, found uh, about your book actually through um, a, a connection through uh, my own seminary. He had written the endorsement, uh, Dr. Ninjay Gupta, oh. who, uh, man, I was in the middle of our Story of Justice series preparing uh, to get into Romans and then kind of the life of the church and how does this story of justice connect and was finding little things here and there, but nobody... And then I just see this little endorsement post that he had made on Instagram. And I, this is it. This is the resource I've been looking for. And so, uh, yeah, not only did I, I was looking into you, but actually reached out to you. And you were so generous in uh, letting me have an advanced version of the book that showed up in uh, last week's teaching. And then uh, we've got you here now for me to, to be able to quiz you and uh, get a little bit more uh, content from you. So, um, yeah, so I've got a couple questions for you, and uh, yeah, collective. I hope what you'll you'll see through these questions is uh, really just continuing our meditation on what does it mean to be the the people, the family of justice, uh, as the church today. So, here's our, our first question for you. As we've looked at biblical theology of justice over this summer, some may explicitly point to uh, the way that the strongest words of justice are actually kind of all located within maybe the, the law, the Torah of the Old Testament or the prophets. But really the New Testament makes this new shift with the arrival of Jesus that tends to be far more focused on uh, things like individual salvation and our personal relationship to Jesus. Is this shift that, we, that many of us perceive or assume, is that correct? Is that how we're supposed to be reading the story? All right. Well, <clears throat> there's no question that the Old Testament has uh, a, a, a big concern with questions of justice, justice mm -hmm. within Israel, justice among the nations, and those kinds of things. And so um, that's obviously, in uh, for most Christians, the place they go to look for any kind of uh, discernment about what, what does justice mean uh, in, in the Christian life? What does justice mean for God's people? And, um, and uh, I, I'm certainly not wanting to detract whatsoever from yeah. that uh, important examination of the Old Testament uh, understanding of justice, nor do I think that uh, the New Testament in any way cancels the Old Testament understanding of justice, yeah. right? Uh, and the fact is, you know, um, perhaps, Ryan, you've uh, already read some of this uh, material, but um, uh, Jesus himself, um, enters upon the scene uh, as a political figure. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you read just the first couple of chapters of Matthew, for example. I mean, it's profoundly disturbing to Herod and all Jerusalem with him yeah. um, that that the arrival of, of this Messiah, of this King of the Jews, 
um, is is happening, and and you know all kinds of bad things happen as a result of Jesus arriving on the scene. In the sense that there's a reaction to him, a political reaction to him. Yeah. And so um, there's a fairly famous book that you're probably aware of by. Uh, a fairly infamous author now, John Howard Yoder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we won't go into that. Um, <clears throat> but he wrote a book called The Politics of Jesus. Yeah. And um, that book was very formative for me in, in uh, reshaping my thinking about, is the New Testament just about individual salvation? Or does it have, in fact, um, a vision for politics, for for mm-hmm. for the life of, of people, okay? Mm-hmm. Um and in particular, of course, the people of God. But uh, casting that out into the wider scene, does it have? Does the New Testament have a political message that enters into this wider world and speaks to it? And 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 so, you know, the, um, my, my uh, initial kind of um, d- movement in this direction came through uh, looking at the Gospels and looking at the Gospels as themselves communicating the reality of Jesus as not just a personal um, friend, shall we say, or a personal savior, but uh, the reality of Jesus as um, as a, a new political um, figure on the scene. Okay, so so that's where it starts. But one thing I discovered uh, was that um, in the Politics of Jesus book is that actually Yoder spends a whole lot of time on Paul, mm-hmm. and that kind of opened my eyes again. Okay, so. Uh, that sent me on a journey, and um, that journey uh, ended up focusing primarily on the letter to the Romans. And so, so as I explore in the um, in this new book uh, called Resurrecting Justice, um, part of what I want to do is resurrect the fact that justice is a core concern of the letter to the Romans, mm-hmm. and that's primarily based around um, uh, the the translation of a certain set of Greek words that usually gets translated as righteous and righteousness and and that kind of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, as I say in the in the first part of the book, Paul doesn't have two words, one that applies, shall we say, to the moral and religious life of people, mm-hmm. and another one that applies to the big issues of justice uh, in, in society, justice amongst nations, that kind of thing. He has one word, okay, or one set of words. Okay? Yeah. And so um, I, I and I'm not alone in this. I, I, this isn't something brand new that I'm putting out there. Okay, I'm following a, a good number of people who've been thinking down this road. Um, what would happen if we looked at Romans and took those words that are typically translated righteous and righteousness, and started thinking through them in terms of justice? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and the more I did that, the more I realized that Romans actually has a very profound and powerful message uh, about justice um, and about God's justice. And and it takes up uh, the Old Testament um, emphasis on and concern for justice and uh, to a certain extent kind of absorbs that into the reality of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ as the justice of God. So does that that in some way question how this uh, connects Jesus and the Old Testament? Yeah, no, I mean, that just moves us. I think that is the um, interpretive key, I think, that starts moving us into new conversations about Romans, mm-hmm, where I think righteous or righteousness, it allows us to stay in that individual, personal kind of yes. relationship stuff. And I think 
to me, this is, you know, the, the, <laughs> we're going into Bible nerd territory, but even some of the conversations around Paul that have been so huge over the past few decades it, of what is the righteousness of God. Um, when we see justice as the putting right and the put rightness of God, you know, um, it, it leads to um, just a new interpretive key that I think for me, the main thing is uh, I just to encourage people to start reading Romans within that light, you know, yeah. is just to stop and really slow down. And um, yeah, I think just to your credit in, in your kind of little translations of, of verses and passages that reading and having justice in place of where righteous or righteousness might normally be, it causes me to start reading the text in a whole new way. Yeah. And, um, and one that I don't, that, that, that based on Greek translation, the, the work that we're doing, the good work of Bible is, uh, isn't one that we're, we're um, improperly or erroneously doing one that's actually grounded in what Paul, there's a, a, an, an edge that that would have been there for the, um, the people that heard the letter originally. Yeah, really good. Well, and uh, you know, as as uh, <clears throat> interestingly, Nije said in his uh, blurb for my book, mm-hmm. he said I, I was initially skeptical about yep. whether Romans could be read as a treatise on justice. Yep. But uh, but I ended up convincing him, and he's a far yep. better New Testament scholar than I am. I'm my area has been primarily in theology, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but I thought, okay, well, if I can convince Nije, then maybe my argument is actually not a bad one, right? To, to, yep. to read. Romans um, under this different lens. Yeah. 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 I think the helpful framework, I'm just repeating it again for our own people, is the, the Hebrew phrases that we had within the Old Testament, tzedakah and mishpat, of um, righteousness and justice, are kind of two friends riding on bikes with each other throughout the Old Testament. And most of the time they're together. And when you see one of them, you can assume the other person is somewhere nearby. Exactly. And in the New Testament, it becomes a tandem bicycle. <laughs> It's one word group for both of those two friends that they're now riding together. That's a and, great um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, the, when, when we start seeing righteousness, I think the problem is, is we, we need to remember that our translation into English, and it's not bad, it's, you know, we're so grateful for translations. Um, some people can just dog on translations too much. But this is one of those instances where we need to remember that we're only seeing the first half of the bike. <laughs> and there's exactly. another half there. And um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's so helpful. What I wanted to do um, is moving into some of the other questions that I had really had to do with the back half of Romans, as that was really what we focused on this past mm-hmm. week yeah. in our teaching. Um, and I'll just say, in, in reading through the introduction and the first half, man, the, the justice of God at work in what Jesus has done, um, yeah, everybody needs to, to get the book uh, and, and spend some time with that. Um, I'd recommend discipleship groups to, to go through it because it was, it, it's so good, but I want to pick your brain on, on some of the, the uh, application, the life of the sure. church stuff. So. Yeah. I, to, I hope not ever, I hope, I, I hope people don't just skip over the first eight chapters or so. <laughs> no. And I know you, yeah. but um, <laughs> because in some sense, uh, and, and this has been widely acknowledged throughout Romans in some sense, everything, from effectively Romans 12 on flows out of all of the groundwork yeah. that Paul has laid in yeah. um, in the first uh, 11 chapters. Uh, yeah. I mean, 12 verses 1 and 2 effectively are just saying, okay, in light of all of this. Yeah, in view of God's this? mercies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, super good. Um, yeah, anyway, so don't, don't skip. Sorry, well, that's true. No, I mean, that's that's true with so many of the epistles is I think we sometimes want to jump into the back half where Paul gives us the like, okay, what about my marriage? What about... Yeah. 
you know, my community, how do I treat people? And yeah. for Paul, it's always the, um, the hinge, the therefore, you know, between yeah. the two parts of his books are always so predicated on the work of Jesus. So um, it's a really good, yeah, I'm, that was a good, <laughs> that's a good caveat. So uh, down here in the States, we're just a few months away from uh, what, what for many, it seems to be quite a big election year. And so what this has shown is quite a, a big amount uh, of division that's been happening within our country. And uh, as, as citizens of the country, a lot of division that's been taking place within churches and within uh, even in fraction, you know, di- just difference within even collective. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that comes out of uh, one is just differing ways of seeing the world, but a lot of it seems to be coming from a wholesale allegiance to one particular party and then a zealous anger that gets directed toward the others. Yeah. What do you think uh, if, if Paul were with us today and he was writing a, uh, a letter to the American church in place of the Roman church, what do you think that letter would be like? Or, or maybe just a better way of phrasing the question is what does Paul's commands uh, in Romans, uh, in the back half of Romans, specifically some of his language about submitting to the government, but not resisting that what, what, what do you think Paul's words would be to the American church today in light of election year and, and so much of the political turmoil that uh, we're seeing right now? Yeah. Well, his first word would be uh, the good news of God in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so, 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 you know, those, those first uh, eight chapters in particular, simply want to effectively reconstruct the entire world around the reality of God and Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And to uh, look, at the, look at the world through that lens, okay? To, to see that um, God and Jesus Christ is the, the reality of all realities. And, and so there, it, it is, in the first instance, a reality question. What is the real, okay? Um, who is God? Um, how do we know this God? Um, what's the relationship between God and this one whom, who was crucified and raised from the dead? And, and yeah. so all of that, yeah, basically Paul wants to say, okay, focus your attention here. Mm. And by focusing your attention here, all of a sudden, these other things are radically relativized, Okay. Effectively, Paul wants to say, become, it, it, through this profound trust in the reality of God and Jesus Christ and the Spirit, become unbelievers in other realities. Mm. Okay? Um, so I'm good. obviously a Canadian, yeah, um, and so I, I, I watch a lot of what goes on, in, and unfortunately, I'll probably watch too much of what goes on in the States, and I just yeah. go, you know, what the heck's going on there? But for American Christians, it seems to me the most fundamental problem is too much belief. And by that, I mean too much belief in the Democratic Party, too much belief Mm -hmm. in the Republican Party, too Mm -hmm. much belief in the president, too much belief in an alternative president, okay? Um, and, and, And so all of the attention is focused on those realities and God, and we saw this with Mike Pence's speech just recently, God effectively gets absorbed into those realities and made effectively to serve those realities. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the fundamental problem. And, and it isn't just an American problem. This is a, a problem. I mean, we have a problem 
in all kinds of ways in saying, look, the real world is just all of this that we see around us and all of the impacts that are, are that our uh, you know, political systems have on us or economic systems. Uh, that's the real world. How does God fit into all of that? Mm-hmm. Wrong way to put it. Okay. Mm-hmm. The really real, if you want to put it that way, the reality of all realities is God and Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And if we're asking questions of justice, that's the first place where those questions get answered. Okay. That's the that's the the place where 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 um, the reality of justice is set before us concretely in the person of Christ, in his death in his resurrection, in God's working through the Spirit, uh, and so on. So if, if, we're, if we're wanting to look for a better world, that's where we've got to start looking, okay? Yeah. That's where our primary focus has to be, and living out of that reality. Otherwise, God just gets, uh, God and Jesus just get absorbed into um, whatever we think is the most important thing out there. And right yeah. now, Certainly for Americans, the most important important thing out there is this election, mm-hmm. one way or another, right? Democrat, Republican, you know that's 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 where that's where the world that's where America is going to be saved if we go down that road, or or if we mm-hmm. go down that road, America will be yeah, saved, yeah. right? Um, and Christians get caught up in that, and that's the sad thing. I mean, I can understand you know your ordinary American person um, who, who has no who has no um, reference point completely beyond all of that, says, well, look, this is all we've got. So, you know, we better vote Republican or we better vote Democrat um, be, because we have no other way of moving America forward. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, Paul's letter to the Romans says, try to set all of that radically in the background. Mm. Don't fixate on it. Don't believe in it. <laughs> If, if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul talks about how the Thessalonians turned, from God, uh, turned to God from idols, okay? Mm-hmm. What I find interesting in, his, in, in, his, uh, in the way he puts it there is, is that he, he, puts, he doesn't say they turned from idols to God. He mm-hmm. says they turned to God from idols. In other words, they were captivated by, seized by, Mm. This radical ultimate reality of God and Jesus Christ. And that freed them from those idolatries. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they tur- turned to God from idols. All of a sudden, the idols became nothings for them. Okay? Yeah. And, and um, you know, uh, there, there was a, a certain point in Mike Pence's speech where he started quoting from, uh, you know, a bit from Hebrews and I think a bit from 1 Corinthians and, and, and so on. But none of it had any reference to Jesus Christ. In other words, these biblical texts were now absorbed into the reality of America. Hmm. And, so, and that just means the greatest reality is America. Um, mm-hmm. we, can, we can pick up bits and pieces from the Bible so long as we can absorb them into uh, this idol of America. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so... So, so uh, really, uh, it's crucial uh, that the Christian church fix their eyes on God, that the Christian church understand that God is the reality above all realities, mm-hmm. and that the coming of Jesus Christ inserts into, the, into what we consider to be 
the most important things and radically relativizes those things and reconstrues our whole world around Jesus Christ. So, so that's, mm-hmm. that's just so crucial. Okay. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, um, yeah. I'll get to Romans 13 in just a minute, but go ahead. Ask, uh, well, yeah, no, I was, I, maybe that's maybe where Romans 13 is getting. I think my, my question is then in relativizing the governing authorities and what they can actually provide, you know, behind their promises. I think my question is uh, one. Yeah. So then, okay. So the questions of what does, what does Paul mean by subjection and by not resisting? But then, and then I think my other question is, okay, so then, because we've been so wired to see justice as exclusively and only being done through political action and activism. Um, what is then the Christian, how do we, how do we respond to some of the, you know, I think in, in your, um, in your book, you talk about those, those big grandiose injustices that are happening. How do we respond to those? If what the government, what we've been raised and maybe this is an American thing, but we've just been raised to see the only way to deal with those is based off your vote and who's in office. Yeah. Um, and so how do we, yeah. So I guess some of the, there's a couple questions within there, but. Um, yeah. Well, Paul is engaged in a fairly radical critique in Romans of political sovereignty on the one hand, which he understands to be rooted in idolatry mm-hmm. and a critique of law on the other hand. And I, and here I think Paul is not simply addressing the question of, uh, of the law of Israel and the law of Moses. But he's looking at the question of law as a whole. Okay, there's no, there's, there's certainly no uh, indication that Paul thinks that um, you know Jews should give up following the Jewish law in order that they might follow the Roman law, right? Okay, mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. think Paul is as dubious about the Roman law, more dubious about the Roman law than he is about the Jewish law by by a good stretch. But he's engaged in a critique of those places where we typically look for justice. Okay, and so just as you said, we typically look look to to see how the world can be a better place. We look to our political authorities, okay, or we look to the law courts. So of course, it's very important in most countries who gets appointed to the Supreme Courts, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we make sure that somebody is appointed there who's on our side in terms of these typical issues of justice. Um, so. My, my point in the book is not to say those things don't matter, because they matter actually for multitudes of people. Um, but my point is to say that for Christians, that is not the first place to look. And it's not the first place where our, where our activity for justice begins, okay? Mm. And, and so if you look at uh, chapter 14, um, in Romans, I forget which chapter it is in the book, maybe 12 or something. Um, But if you look at chapter 14 in Romans, where Paul uh, turns his attention directly to what's going on in the assemblies in Rome, um, basically he says, look, the justice of God in Jesus Christ begins at the dinner table, okay? Mm -hmm. And it begins at at the dinner table where these two groups of people who for all other kinds of reasons, should be at fundamentally at odds with one another, perhaps even hating each other, mm-hmm. perhaps something like Democrats and Republicans sitting down <laughs> yeah, yeah. at the same table, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and Paul says, this is the place where the reality of God's justice in Jesus Christ takes concrete, 
bodily form around eating and drinking. And, you know, churches really do have to wrap their heads around the fact that um, their witness in the world doesn't depend on their capacity to get a hold of the levers of the ju just judicial systems or the political systems. Mm -hmm. Their witness in the world depends upon how the justice of God in Jesus Christ is being enacted bodily in their own midst. And, uh, and, and, and so for Paul, it's, the, it's basically the Judeans and the Gentiles sitting down at, a, at tables together in Rome and having debates about what food they're going to eat. Okay. Mm -hmm. And clearly for, for uh, the Jewish uh, members there, they, they want to eat kosher. What, what I find fascinating is Paul says, yeah, you should probably eat kosher. You're Jews. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but don't judge the Gentiles for eating pork. Mm -hmm. um, and he says to the Gentiles, okay, eat pork. God's given it to you to eat. Give thanks for it. Don't look down upon or despise the Jews for eating kosher, not eating. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that you're sitting at the same table, you're eating your food, you're welcoming one another, you're blessing one another, you're, you're doing all of this as a sharing in the reality of Jesus Christ. And that is the primary witness that the church makes to the justice of God in Jesus Christ. Now, how does all, how, how does that flow out from there? I, I, I can't say, Paul doesn't say, but I think mm -hmm. he expects that in some measure, that witness will be seen. And in some measure, those who experience the justice of God in Jesus Christ at the dinner table will find ways of communicating and enacting that justice in, in their wider circles. But since I think, I, I think one of the key points of Romans chapters 1 to 3 is that uh, the, the, those places where, those systemic places where we typically look for justice, um, political authority and law aren't going to be the places where justice happens. Okay, mm -hmm. don't ex don't expect justice there. So, so that's kind of interesting, I think. Um, and and um, a lot of this means that that uh, Christians need to learn to um, become dispossessed. Okay. A lot of our assumptions about uh, finding justice in the law courts and finding justice in the political system just presupposes that Christians will almost or should or will find themselves in the places of power. Okay, mm -hmm. and I'm not at all convinced that um, that is the best place for Christians to find themselves. The best place to, for Christians to find themselves is at the dinner table, on the streets, amongst their neighbors. Uh, engaging um, their neighbors um, on a personal basis and so mm -hmm. on, um, and uh, seeing how the justice of God and Jesus Christ flows out from that center. Okay, yeah, that's the center. That's the center from which the justice of God flows. It doesn't flow from these idolatrous political systems. It doesn't flow flow from these court systems, which effectively um, use the threat of punishment and death 
uh, to to uh, see justice done and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if that helps. No, that is that is helpful. Yeah, in the same way of uh, in the, the earlier question, changing our interpretive lens of yeah. how we see you know something like righteousness is that this too I think is a it's a different way of thinking, and I think particularly um, I know this is true with it, just with myself and many of other people within our community is you know as we have conversations about ju- justice being administered within. Uh, within the nation, within the country, is the first and predominant, really the primary and only place that we look, is um, is is to politics, and, um, and and really anything beyond that, it's kind of protest. Is yes. you know anything beyond? It's those are the two avenues, and I think what it leaves me with, both you know for myself, but then also in watching it happen within our church, is kind of the like this. This can't be the the extent of what Jesus is is or or Paul intends when he's calling us to be a people of, of that are administering justice that are um, associating with the lowly, yeah. uh, as Paul puts it. And um, yeah, so I think to that point is just we're thinking through the dinner table. We're thinking through the embodied relational. We're thinking about my neighborhood yes. and prioritizing that. Um, yeah, we're we're prioritizing who lives next door rather than who lives in the White House. Not that who lives in the White House isn't important, but um, yeah, that, that's good. That's helpful. Okay. One more for you. Uh, <clears throat> is moving kind of beyond that, not just from the political spectrum, but then uh, moving into the, for many, I mean, the first time that, that for many people are seeing this, um, I know some of the younger folks within our church, but uh, that, this, that this year has brought to a head really at a, a national level, some of the deep racial disparities that exist within our country. Um, I mean, I have questions about what does Romans say about prejudice between two ethnic groups and, and what is the way forward? Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of my first question. Then I have a backup one about what is Paul's perception of sin? Um, is it individual? Is it systemic? But I guess we'll stay with the first one. Okay. Is, what does Paul see as the way forward between two groups where there seems to be so much divide and disparity yeah. and, and even injustice between the two? What, what does Paul seem to, to give well, us wisdom yeah. on so, so you you uh, said we'll leave that that question about sin and systems behind. But effectively, these two are, as, as I'm Very sure, much, yeah. completely bound up with one another. Yep, yep. And so, so we find ourselves uh, within within these large scale social imaginaries, as Char- Charles Taylor calls it, or or, or basically um, meaning systems, and uh, that includes all kinds of political and uh, other sorts of things. Um, and and so. Um, so when uh, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, basically critiques uh, an entire system of whiteness, they're getting at something. They're getting at mm-hmm. a fundamental sin. And, and it's that, uh, once again, it's that trust and belief that uh, we white people have put into a system that has effectively served us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's our sin, okay? We've got, a, we've got a system that is idolatrous and uh, self-serving, and we find ourselves... Um, affirming that system because it's good for us, okay? Um, and so you can so you can see why the Black Lives Matter, um, in a sense, the only option left is protest, okay? Mm-hmm. The only option left is to get out on the streets and say, we are sick and tired of this, and we've had enough. Um, and, uh, you know, in that, in that respect, I, I totally say, yes, you are right. The system has screwed you mm-hmm. in a fundamental way. And, mm-hmm. and continues to, okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, but 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 the question is, what is the way forward? And and here's where the, the, the fundamental question of hope enters in. 
where is where is our hope? So for African Americans, where is our hope? And and you know, uh, there there are you know numerous. I mean, I would say multitudes of African American Christians, obviously, um, and many of them uh, deeply um, um, immersed in the Christian reality. Okay. Um, and I and I see this actually when when some of them say, "Look, what we want to what we want to communicate is love and peace," and and sometimes these uh, demonstrations, which which sometimes get violent, and maybe it's not the entire fault of those who are protesting, but maybe some other elements at work in them, but but um, but they say, "Look, we don't want violence. We want this to be a peaceable movement." All right. Well. Christians, African-American Christians in particular, um, do need to ask themselves that serious, deep question, where does our hope lie? And are we hoping that somehow or another the system will change such that it benefits us more than it has up till now? Um, well, you know, I don't want to say there's nothing there, that, that you shouldn't be doing some kinds of work to, to uh, change the system. But I think that at a more fundamental level, um, for, for uh, the African Americans as well as white Americans, we need to take our focus off of the systems and the powers and put that focus once again on the reality of God, the reality of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead. Focus our attention on this life-giving reality. Um, and to say that our hope fundamentally rests there and not in our capacity to somehow or another uh, change the system, make it work better, and so on. Because the systems will always in some way or another destroy. They'll always in some way or another undo. Uh, there, there will always be some at the top and some at the bottom. There will always be those who benefit from the systems and those who don't, and so on and so forth. Uh, the system is not the place ultimately to look for justice because God's justice has already been done in Jesus Christ. He is the reality of God's justice. Our being conformed to him is the way forward for justice in the world, for Christians, for, mm -hmm. those, who, for those who immerse themselves in the reality of Jesus Christ. This is the way forward. And, and so, so that, that may look like a protest, a peaceable protest, but you know, more perhaps more importantly, it may look like um, white Christians and black Christians sitting down together at the table and listening to one another. Mm -hmm. And in particular, I would say um, white Christians listening to, to, to black Christians rather than the other way around. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's a, a lot of not listening that has gone on amongst white Christians, just not paying attention, not understanding the ways in which the entire system is constructed uh, to serve white people and to effectively not serve black people. Okay, mm -hmm. so so those discussions have to go on. You know, I've I've thought quite a bit about because we've had a Black Lives Matter movement here in Canada at the same time, like it, it yeah. rose up, and and uh, and rightly so. Um, and I've thought, well, you know, how do I respond to that as a white male privileged Christian? Okay. Um, and, and sometimes I think, well, uh, 
some people who have said who, who have kind of lined up with the black the white people who have lined up I, I thought that looks a lot like posturing part of me wants to say maybe it's time for white people just to get themselves out of the way okay <laughs> um uh, and, and that's what I mean by, you know, getting the, sitting around that table, sitting around the table of the Lord, right? And white Christians basically getting themselves out of the way, getting themselves out of the way of dominating the conversation, of having the black people always have to answer to their questions, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and so, so in that sense, it's basically working out of Romans 14, um, what does it mean for two groups that, for all other kinds of reasons, should be at odds with one another? What does it mean for these two groups to sit down at a table and share a meal and welcome one another? Um, and, you know, uh, there's, there's a pretty good hints in Romans 14 that the Gentile Christians in Rome consider themselves to be the superior group. And, of yeah. course, Rome privileges them. You know, mm-hmm. the whole system works for Gentile Roman people, yep. Christians, non-Christians, whatever. Um, so, so, uh, so Paul basically, uh, you see this also in, in Romans 11, Paul basically is a lot harder on the Gentile believers mm. than on mm. the Jewish believers in Rome, okay? Yeah. We sometimes think Paul's just always criticizing Judaism. He's not. Yeah. No. You read Romans carefully, and the fact is, he's saying, look, you Gentile believers, you've got to make room for these Jewish believers, and you've got to listen to them, and you've yeah. got to respect them, you've got to honor them, and you've got to lift them up, okay, in your imaginations. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, um, so, so it's important to read that critique of the, the Gentile dominant group that threads its way throughout, um, throughout Romans. Um, and, and, and to see how when these two groups meet in this intimate encounter, sharing food, seeing one another bodily, which is hard to do in COVID, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, 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 but when they're gathered together. When, when able to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. When they're gathered together at that table, how will things go there? That's, mm-hmm. where, that's where justice will begin. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I, I think at at every possible opportunity, white Christians and African-American Christians need to get together, have those meals, have those conversations, look one another in the eyes, share one another's food or not. It doesn't mean you have to like the other's food, but to respect the other uh, yeah, that's good. other in their own, um, in their, in, in, shall we say, in their own imaginations, right? Yeah. Yeah. But what enables that is taking the focus off the systems, also taking the focus, by the way, off of um, my identity. Okay, I, I, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of identitarian politics that goes on, and part of what the gospel does is um, dislodge identity as the primary motivator for my actions in the world. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and it's and it's not replaced with a new identity. It's always this r- rather uh, strongly decentered. Uh, identity that now focuses on the reality of God and Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if that helps. Is that? Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, so much of this, I'm so grateful for it, is, is uh, again, it's, it's these interpretive keys to like moving forward. And that as well is, again, we're just seeing, I think sometimes we see the social dynamics between 
um, differing groups. Again, if there's something about the ways that our, our, our imaginations have been formed that we perceive we get the right laws and orders and stuff in yep. place. And then on the streets, then we're going to have uh, justice and peace and, uh, and love and, and, you know, the, the utopian vision. Right. And Paul turns the whole thing on its head. Completely. And, um, and, and church history shows us that, that, that Rome was turned over within a handful of generations, not because of, um, you know, the, the church going after, you know, Caesar, um, yeah. but actually by taking care of the poor, um, yes. it was counteracting the exposure practices of, of leaving uh, infants out on the garbage heap. Yeah. Um, they, they invented the term child abuse to talk about the, the sexual practices of yeah. Rome. And so they're doing street level justice. And uh, that became such an engaging portrait and picture that Rome, we can go tour the Colosseum and the church is still alive today, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's an engaging thing. No, and, that, uh, you have summed that up beautifully, Ryan. Uh, you, you've gotten exactly to the point that, that justice begins at the dinner table and on the streets and yeah. works up from there. Uh, don't, don't go for the top and work down. I mean, unfortunately, um, after about three or four centuries, the church did find itself at the top and yep. started doing a whole lot of things that the gospel is against, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. So, um, so, so the church, the church's witness is not generally well served by Christians being in power. Mm-hmm. And if ever there's evidence for that right now, just take a look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And again, to bring it all back to um, God in the person of Jesus, that what we find in him is uh, Philippians 2, that with all of the privileges and power of God, he set those aside and he associated with the lowly. Yeah. Um, that, that Jesus, you know, depending on if you're reading John or <laughs> the way that he orders Jesus's life, but Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke is that, uh, that the turning over the tables, the, the, that getting in the face protest stuff came after years of ministry being done at the dinner table exactly. um, with, with, with those that had been left on the margins. Yeah. Um, and so, man, may we uh, receive Jesus's picture. And as Paul applies that to our church um, and then right there, before we even get it right nestled in between everything that we've been talking about today in Romans 12, 13, and then going into 14 is exactly. Paul's command that what fulfills the law is, is to love one another as, as yourself. Yes. Um, and this applies within our community. This applies within our neighbors is that this is the sort of people that Jesus has made us. And this yeah. is the sort of, I mean, and, and we see it most vivid in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, yeah. Yeah. um, man, uh, Dr. Herring, thank you again, uh, for taking some time uh, to hang out. Uh, with us today and just to answer some of your questions. Once again, for those of you collective, I would just recommend go and grab it. Resurrecting G- Justice, uh, Reading Romans for the Life of the World comes out September 29th. Uh, so just about a month away from uh, the recording date. And uh, man, just to point you in, in, the, in a good direction for that, InterVarsity Press is the publisher for the book. Their uh, website, they have right now, if you pre-order it, you can get 10% off. Um, so instead of going through the Amazon route or bookstores don't even exist right now, but uh, if you go through the publisher, you can save a couple dollars and uh, support, um, man, some incredible work. And, and this is not, again, I don't know, didn't say this at the front end, an overly academic work. I was so blown away with how um, well, Dr. Herrick, you brought some of this really profound theology and, and academic work 
and you you set it down at, at a level where anybody could engage with it. So, man, yeah, everybody needs to go get it. <laughs> well, Ryan, <laughs> let, let me thank you for this opportunity to just kind of uh, uh, op open up the book a little bit. Um, uh, let me also say to you and your listeners, I think your congregation is in very good hands. <laughs> so, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, Ryan, you seem to be uh, a, a, an exceedingly intelligent uh, young man. And um, and uh, looks like you are uh, providing excellent guidance for your church, and I pray God's yeah. blessing on you as you do so, and yeah. and on your congregation. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Herring. Um, yeah, that's uh, thank you very much. <laughs> that's a, yeah. Um, well, on that, um, man, thank you again, uh, Collective Church. Thank you for participating in the story of justice. Um, if you're listening to this uh, right as it comes out, we either just uh, finished out the story of justice, or we're about to this weekend with uh, the uh, the future of justice, uh, looking at uh, the book of Revelation and uh, where all of, of human history is headed. And so um, I know this series has been engaging over the past summer, and uh, I'm excited to get back into the gospel of Mark uh, as we head into the fall. And so, uh, yeah, may God bless you and keep you. May his favor be with you. And uh, man, we'll see you soon. Grace and peace. <laughs>